0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: From America's farm-to-fork capital in Sacramento, I'm Amber Stott, chief food genius and founder of the Food Literacy Center, a nonprofit that inspires kids to eat their veggies and understand why. Raising Kale will chronicle the stories of food thought leaders that include chefs, farmers, doctors, leading experts, connecting them back to the communities that are building resilience around a fractured food system. Today, our food is linked to obesity, climate change, workers' rights, and so much more. It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start Raising Kale.
0: It's not a, I'm some superfood expert on high, and if you can't figure this out, it's because you're not good enough. It's more of, hey, you know, this isn't hard, or it might look hard, but really it's totally doable. So there's something about the approachability of recipes on blogs that takes away the fear factor and, and makes it seem more like it's something that's completely doable.
1: Raising Kale's premiere episode starts in the kitchen. I believe that cooking is a radical act in today's fast food world. If you want to control the fat, salt, sugar, and health in what you eat, you need to cook for yourself. Yet we have two generations of Americans who do not know how to cook from scratch. Some of the biggest heroes of our health are wearing aprons, which is just a cape worn backwards. If we want to improve the health of Americans, we need to learn to cook again. This lost culinary art has seen a resurgence during the pandemic. On December 22nd of 2020, Kim Severson, who I adore, of the New York Times, quotes the CEO of Raleigh's Grocery Stores. I should also note that Raleigh's is a radish grocery company. They're donors to my nonprofit, Food Literacy Center. Keith Knopf, Raleigh's CEO, predicts that even once restaurants reopen, home cooking will remain high, at 30% higher than pre-pandemic. For the large percentage of Americans who are still learning to cook, food blogs have become as popular as ever. There are over 2 million food blogs to choose from online. So let's start our food system journey looking in depth at one of the world's most popular food blogs and learn how you can create change and raise kale in your own kitchen. Elise Bauer is one of the most successful food bloggers in the world. In 2003, she started Simply Recipes, a site that today has thousands of recipes and 8 million visitors a month. If you have cooked a recipe from the internet, you have almost certainly made one of her recipes. I'm pleased that Elise is here with me in the studio today. Hi Elise, welcome to Raising Kale. So I wanna start with the story of your blog. It's a story about food and health, and I'd love to hear your original motivation for starting Simply Recipes and how health sort of has continued to play a role in the recipes that you select.
0: So back in 2001, Um, I had been this very busy, high-tech executive, and I got sick. I got the flu that just wouldn't go away. I was living in San Francisco, and I just tried to get better, and I just couldn't get better. It turned out to be chronic fatigue, and after battling it on my own for two years, I just realized I wasn't getting any better, and I needed to be taken care of. And I moved home to Sacramento with my parents. So here I am in my early 40s um, after having a rather successful high-tech career, but I'm not, I'm sick, I'm not able to work, I'm at home, and I'm thinking, well, while I'm here, I might as well learn more about cooking from my parents because they're both great home cooks. And I'd already started a blog, and I had been collecting my parents' recipes for a few years and hand-coding them and putting them on onto the internet. Um Which is a lot of work. And then when blogging software came along, I thought I should put some of these recipes in a blogging format because it's just so much easier to create content that way. So here I am having just started this blog. I'm too sick to work, work. And I'm moving. I moved home with my parents and uh if I didn't have enough energy to work, I mean, everybody has to eat, right? So I would, I would sort of hover over my mom and dad and take notes about what they were doing um, and then type those recipes into my little tiny, tiny blog back in 2003. And that's really how it started. Like many Americans, Elise
1: had a busy career and ate many of her meals in restaurants. She didn't really know how to cook beyond making quesadillas.
0: That was the initial motivation. was really just to to get these recipes from my parents into my brain and onto the internet so that I could access them from anywhere in the world. My friends and my family could access them. And that was really the initial intent. And then those recipes started to be found because of Google and Google search. And I realized that uh, there are a lot of people looking for recipes online. Mm. So uh, so it sort of naturally grew because of that. Because you look at the the early 2000s, and uh, and we're just beginning to see a shift where people are beginning to look for information online. And what do people look for when they want to cook? They need a recipe. Uh, and cookbooks are expensive. And they getting a recipe from the internet is free so people started figuring out they could find recipes on the internet i think most of them weren't very good and i saw early on that that there was an opportunity to actually make very good create very good recipes that people would be successful with using whole ingredients recipes that would be good for them not just um you know put cans in a in a, in a pot and heat them.
1: Absolutely. And what what were some of those original first recipes that people were pining for?
0: Okay, so this is going to sound really weird, but when the when I the, my first recipe that that did well was one of my favorite um, family recipes, which is oxtail stew. Right. So you, you don't really think that people are you know uh, that that would be it, it but the the thing is is that oxtail stew is a very uh, very homey recipe it's not something that you would go to a fancy restaurant and and find then right. it's something that i grew up with my um, dad is from the midwest he grew up with um you know he grew up in the 30s and 40s and oxtails were things that you would they were very cheap back then, so there were things that, that you would get because you couldn't afford something else. But oxtail stew is so delicious, and I grew up with it. So I, it was one of my first recipes that I put on the um, on the site. And sure enough, no, there weren't that many other recipes for oxtail stew on the internet. And so mine kind of shot up to the top.
1: Can you describe oxtail stew for people that have never had it? <laughs> All right, so... Most
0: people, actually, many people don't even know what an oxtail is, right? So, an oxtail is actually just the tail of a steer. And like any other part of the animal, it has a, a lot of bone because it's basically the end of the spine, right? A lot of cartilage. Uh, steers move their tails back and forth a lot, so they get a lot of exercise. So, the tails get a lot of exercise. So, the tail has very flavorful meat. It's incredibly well marbled with fat, where you get a lot of flavor from. And also, you're going to get collagen from the connective tissue and the um, cartilage from the tail as well. So it's actually a wonderful cut of beef. And um, to make the stew, you would make it like you would any other uh, beef stew. You would brown the segments and the uh, segments of oxtails.
1: How many tails do you use?
0: <laughs> oh, I think you can get by with just one, but usually you buy them by the pound and they're already broken up into segments by the um, by the butcher. And I, I have seen one all in one piece, and it was pretty long. Uh, but you usually get them already, already broken up. Anyway, that was the one and, and you would make it just like any other any other stew except at the end you would want to pull out the bones. And that's it. That's the only only difference. And it's absolutely delicious. So that was that was the first recipe that people really started um, coming to, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, if people get excited about oxtail stew, what else would they be interested in? And that sort of set me off on all of my parents' um, my my favorite recipes from my parents, like their hamburger and macaroni, my mom's enchiladas, um, so good I've had those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad's apple butter, uh, um, and then there's banana bread. I mean, the thing about at this time was that I wanted to make recipes of the food that I loved eating at home, just really good home cooking. And I wasn't trying to be fancy. I wasn't trying to replicate anything that a, a chef or a fancy restaurant might do. I wanted to create recipes or share recipes that were um, that were comforting and healthy. And
1: so many years later now Mm -hmm. that food is very trendy, Mm -hmm. everything has frosting on it, (laughs) Um, how do you stay true to that original vision and have something that's lasted and hasn't had to buy into some of the trends? Well, trends
0: are important, and at the same time my my view has always been with a recipe uh, did I really like the way it tasted? And I'm was it worth making? Was it worth the effort? I mean, some things taste great, but they take two days to make. So it has to be worth the effort. And finally, would I make it again? Those are, those are always my three things. Just, you know, did it taste great? Was it worth the effort? Would I make it again? And if it passed those three tests, then that's something I want to share with people.
1: I love that. And you have actually a pretty high standard when it comes to your recipe testing. Mm -hmm. There isn't a recipe on your site that doesn't work. And that's pretty common on the Internet to find recipes that are broken in some way, shape, or form. Maybe the bread doesn't rise. or
0: Well, what's so difficult with recipes, um, any recipes online or in a cookbook, as a recipe writer, I can tell you that, that people have all different environments in which they cook. They may be at high elevation. They may be um, in a really humid environment. Um, they, uh, they may have an oven that runs hot or runs cold, or uh, they maybe have, have a oven, an oven that circulates the air and one that doesn't. So there are just so many things. And then, then you have the ingredients, and ingredients can really change. I mean, just think about all the different kinds of apples and how they bake differently. Some apples are great for cooking and some you just don't ever want to have cooked. Like red delicious, don't cook a red <laughs> delicious apple. Not a fan. You will not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know, I am happy that our recipes work most of the time. Like they work a very high percentage of the time. And sometimes they don't, and sometimes it's because I haven't given as precise directions as I'd like to, or sometimes the 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 user isn't following the directions as as written or sometimes there is some environmental factor that, that we haven't taken in account of. So, But we try. See, my goal is always to come up with recipes that work for people. And if they don't, then I want to find out why and fix it.
1: And what are some of the barriers that you see that folks have to cooking?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, one is uh, they're afraid, mm-hmm. right? So um, they're afraid and they and they' they're afraid they're they're going to uh, do something that doesn't work. Um, they're gonna afraid that they're afraid that they will spend all this money on on ingredients and then it doesn't work. People are also very limited in time. And people are really really busy and sometimes cooking requires a basic level of understanding how to cook in order to, cook within a time constraint. So my mom, for example, can make her cheese enchiladas in 30 minutes, start to finish. You say, mom, I'd like some enchiladas. 30 minutes later, they're enchiladas. 30 minutes. Like That's full amazing. On. I mean, she's amazing. She's got it down. But the only reason she can do it that fast is she's made them hundreds of times. And so she knows exactly what to do and how to Coordinate that, and so I think that can be challenging for people. If you haven't cooked enough, then you don't have this sort of basic understanding of all these things that you can do to sort of save time as you cook. Um, so yeah, I think that the biggest thing is time. It's also having a, a, a kitchen and environment. Everything, you know, the money that you would require to. To cook, it requires money, right? You have to have a stove, you have to have a refrigerator, and you have to have the right ingredients. And those ingredients should be fresh, and not old. So, right? so that always helps. Yeah. Yes.
1: And we actually have uh, one of our elementary broccoli buddies mm-hmm. who had a question about time mm-hmm. and cooking. Okay. That I'd like to share with you. Great. I think it's amazing because you get. You cook it. You get to eat it at the end, and it sounds kind of really fun. But for people, kind of sounds boring. Some people don't like cooking that much. And some people just like, um, they just get tired. And stuff. Yeah. So he was talking about how he likes cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's in second grade. Mm-hmm. So this is how they ask questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and he was talking about how he likes cooking, but maybe other people might find it boring because it takes so much time.
0: And they get tired. Exactly. Right. right. So if you are cooking something that you love to eat, then it's not boring. And then you, you make the time to make it work, and you also make it enough because you love it that it just doesn't take as much time. And the motivation is the there. The motivation is there. I mean, the, people ask me all the time, "Do you like, oh, it's so great that you love to cook. And I said, actually, I really love to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's, that's, that's my motivation. I love to eat. I love to eat really, really well. And, and the best way for me to eat well is to learn how to cook well. And not only that. So my my secret selfish motivation for teaching other people how to cook well is that that when I go to their house, I'm going to eat better. <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean seriously, this is like I think everyone should know how to cook because if we all know how to cook, we will all eat so much better and we will enjoy our food so much more.
1: Absolutely. Um, let's, let's let's listen to our second question from our little broccoli buddy. My real name is Jake, but people call me Jacob. And I'm in second grade. <laughs> At home, I tell my mom for to give me some salad for I can eat. Salad. I'm the kid that likes salad. I like the ones with some with some corn. You know those corns with the little tiny baby corns. Those corns and some like what what with the white thing? The ranch. I want <laughs> it.
0: So he likes salad with baby corn and ranch dressing. Yes, oh, that's so cute. So, do you have a recipe on your site that Jacob Jake uh, could cook? Um, oh, I've got. We've had plenty of recipes that he can cook. I don't know if we have a recipe with baby corn and ranch dressing, but we have a recipe for ranch dressing if he wanted to make it himself. There you go. And salads are so easy, right? I mean, salads are you just take your favorite fresh vegetables and you have lettuce, put it all together and uh, add a little vinegar and oil or some dressing and you're, that's, that's it. So easy. And how important are the ingredients? What kind of question is that, Amber? <laughs> the ingredients are everything. Every ingredient is important. Every ingredient is going to go bad over time if you're not careful and you don't eat it up quickly, right? So you want to have the freshest vegetables you want to have the freshest meats and fish i mean you you don't want foods to sit around until they're tired and old before you eat them they're not going to taste as good and they're not going to be as good for you so yeah. many sad mushrooms in the back of refrigerators. Right? Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things that uh, I do is a, ch- it's a challenge to myself is I op- open a refrigerator door and say, okay, what do I really, what do I need to eat right now? Just yesterday I found some smoked salmon in the refrigerator. I thought, uh-oh, better get to that. That was my dinner, smoked salmon on bread. <laughs> like, right? Delicious. So, yeah, and other things, you know, your olive oil should be fresh. Um, any any cooking oil you have, it shouldn't I mean that's that's one thing that gets people in trouble is their oil gets rancid because they just let it sit around instead of using it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the ingredients that you use are incredibly important to the quality of food that you create.
1: Perfect. And let's go back to today and the mm-hmm. blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, in twenty sixteen you sold it that's to right. Fexy Media. Yep. Um so you call yourself semi-retired, mm-hmm. um, but h- how has that transition been? Has it been difficult? I mean, you gave your brainchild, you put it in the hands of others. I know, others. I gave
0: my baby away. It's like someone said, well, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you raised your baby and now that baby just got married. <laughs> like, right? So I'm, I'm having the transition that uh, uh, mothers go through, right, when you have raised something and now it's someone else's job to take care of it and I would be lying if I said it wasn't challenging for me personally because it's just I have so much emotion tied up um, with all of the recipes and the site and at the same time I think uh, I couldn't have picked a better company to uh, to partner with and to to purchase simply recipes because I think they're doing a fabulous job
1: they they've left your mom's enchiladas. Yes,
0: well. <laughs> they've left my mom. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's so many of the recipes on the site are are personal and are family recipes, and they honor that and respect that. So that's that's the thing that makes that that makes me happy about this transition.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that. Um, I have always really admired about you, Elise, is how collaborative you are because Mm -hmm. blogging, food blogging, it's a very competitive space and you do not participate in that. You are always collaborative. I think it's worth mentioning here that Elise and I are dear friends. You probably already caught on to this. For context, I met Elise in 2008 when I started a little blog of my own, Awake at the Whisk. We both live in Sacramento and were introduced to each other by a fellow food blogger, shout out to Garrett McCord. We became instant friends and she also became my mentor. A few years later, when I started the Food Literacy Center, Elise became a founding board member. She has been my champion and my friend. So now that I've provided some context, let's get back to her views on collaboration.
0: So from the very early um early days of food blogging remember I started in 2003 and there were just a handful of us um, from the very beginning my uh, my view was let us share what we learn with each other this is a growing medium um, not only I mean for example recipes are all about sharing cooking is about sharing we share we share recipes so we we all improve as a society well, as food bloggers, we were sharing with each other what we know about food blogging, and so we can all get better. My view is always has always been: let's like knowledge and information raises all the boats, right? So we all get better when we share and um, share information with each other, and don't try to silo it and be super, super competitive. It's these things are naturally competitive because when it comes down to it, all of the sites are competing for the same eyeballs. But if we think um, in term, not in terms of scarcity, but in terms of abundance, um, there's just so much more for everyone. So that's that's sort of been my approach all along. and and I know that I've grown uh, personally and professionally um, through everything that I've learned from my fellow food bloggers, and I've made, Lifelong friends like you, Amber, and I think that has been the greatest gift of food blogging is actually the the uh, friends that i've that i've um, that i've gained from that from this whole experience.
1: I one hundred percent agree because uh, <laughs> I would not have met you if I hadn't had a little food blog exactly. in, in the beginning, and that's how we met. And, and why
0: it's <laughs> about connecting with people who share the same passion and values that you do about about. Um, Teaching people how to eat well and ha- teaching people where their food comes from—it's really important. It's really important, you know. I—it's just something. I—I I grew up gardening, so I know. You know, I, we grow our own pomegranates, our own oranges, our own kiwi fruit. Our, you garden like we—we—we we, we know when the seasons are, and we know the. Um, It's a wonderful feeling of nurturing a plant and having it grow and then having that plant feed you.
1: Absolutely. I know. I remember some of those early days finding other food bloggers and, Mm -hmm. you know, the kinds of conversations you could have that just opened up a passion. Yeah. Uh, it's
0: so fun. Yeah, you get food bloggers together and it's just we can just talk about food forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites as well. And I think another thing
1: that's so inspiring about Simply Recipes is the fact that you do really inspire people to roll up their sleeves mm-hmm. and um, get in their kitchens. So, you know, how do you think you've really empowered your visit- visitors to create change in their own kitchens?
0: I think when you present a series of steps, which is what a recipe is, and you present it in a way that is clear and that is illustrated whether, you know, with photos or videos, you take away the f- much of the fear factor. It's basically saying, look, you can do this. Here there are the steps. This is what it should look like. And I think that that has, um, that's really made a difference for people. It's it's not a I'm some superfood expert on high, and if you can't figure this out, it's because you're not good enough. Which is kind of an attitude that I used to pick up on from, from uh, magazines years ago. It's more of hey, you know, like this isn't this isn't hard, or it might look hard, but really it's totally doable. And so there's something about the approachability of recipes on blogs, the approachability of us. To people that makes that takes away the fear factor and and makes it seem more like it's something is completely doable. I always think about um, when I'm writing that I'm just talking to a neighbor or a friend of my mom's or an aunt, right, or a friend. This is how you do it. And it's not so hard.
1: <laughs> and that's the beauty of a blog, because yeah. you get instant comments and questions yeah. that you can interact with these people in real time. Right,
0: right, right. So w- wonderful thing about um, a blog is you can actually ask a question, and the person who wrote the recipe will likely answer. I'm answering questions all the time. And even though I sold Simply Recipes a few years ago, I'm always answering questions. I actually enjoy answering the the cooking questions on my recipes.
1: I love that, and let's talk also about the joy and the love <laughs> that are you know you find in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kitchens can be radical spaces for change. Being healthy is a mm-hmm. radical act in a country where fifty percent of us are sick because of our diets. Mm-hmm. So, how do you raise kale in the kitchen <laughs> for yourself and for your visitors?
0: Like I said, I'm, I garden. And I work a lot with fresh vegetables and uh, and then I just share my food. Right. So just last week I was making bunches of batches of marmalade, some marmalade that you've actually had. Right. And so I raise kale by making it myself and then sharing that with others. And if they like it, then I'm super happy to show them exactly how I did it. Uh, and you
1: do. You invite people into yeah, your kitchen yeah, yeah. constantly to cook yeah. with you. And, yes. And you yeah. are excited uh, to learn other people's recipes. Absolutely.
0: I, I love learning how people cook things, and, and I love having people over for me to show them how I make things. So cooking is it's such an act of love and community, and if you're just doing it by yourself, it's not nearly as much fun as when you're doing it for and with others it's a team sport. Yes. <laughs> it is. You know, my parents come over all the time and we and I go over to their house all the time and we still cook together and it's it is a team sport and it's a it's a, a great way to to work on something that is loving and nourishing with your friends.
1: Absolutely. And I just have to say again that you're one of the most successful food bloggers in the whole world.
0: Oh,
1: and thanks, Amber. I mean that's just data. <laughs> <laughs> I also agree with the data, but um it's it's statistically known. So mm-hmm. what kind of commitment does that take? Like what are the things oh. that you give up and what are the things you will never give up in so, your pursuit of success?
0: So a couple areas of commitment. One was I am and was much more committed to the quality of the product than I am to anything about me. This isn't about me. When you go to Simply Recipes, it's not about me. It's not about any of the authors. Um, It's about the recipe, and it's about you, the cook. Um, We're here to make your cooking journey a delightful one. So that has been steering me from early on. This isn't about building the brand of Elise. right? Mm -hmm. This is really about... Um, making sure that you're successful in the kitchen, and that has been my my main driver in terms of wanting to make sure that what it is I create is something that I'm proud of because it's helping people and making their lives happier. So that's number one. Number two is it takes a lot of time to be a successful food blogger. I was sick and living at home with my parents for seven years before I was well enough to move away from them and then I moved seven houses down the street. And while I was sick and living at home, that's pretty much all I did. And I mean I wake up in the morning, I you know cook, write it down, work on the photography. I didn't have a social life. So and we, people can be very successful with blogging without having to go through what I went through. but you it requires a lot of time and if you have a family, um, or if you have a job, you're going to have to be super organized um, and consistent. So the first couple of years, I didn't make more than a dollar a day on the blog. There just wasn't enough traffic and, and there wasn't enough of an ecosystem of, of advertisers that would support that. And so it takes, uh, it takes a commitment of time and hard work over several years to be successful at this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you you taught yourself. Yeah, I taught to myself. Cook. <laughs> yeah,
0: taught um, myself to cook. Taught myself to take food photographs. Taught myself to to do the the blogging. I mean, like by the first couple of years of food blogging, I I did um, I did my own website design and everything. The skill set is massive. The skill the skill set is, and it just keeps on getting more massive. I mean, now video is really important. Um, and when I started, we didn't have smartphones, really, so everything was just for a computer. And now when you create content, you're creating it for computers, for phones of various sizes, for, um, for tablets. You have uh, photos that need to work in, in, on Instagram or on Facebook all of those different all of those different platforms require a slightly different cut of the content. So now it's just a lot. There's a lot more work and a lot more areas that you have to be good at to be successful in this space.
1: And you were doing it as a one woman show, and now there's yeah. a. Team, team of many right. doing what you were doing alone.
0: I was doing one woman show for a long time and then um, for a few years, uh, the last few years before I sold the company, I had a website developer who worked, worked for me full time and then I also collaborated with other um, with other cooks in the area, Kathy Riley and Hank Shaw, who would come over and we would cook together, so that was really helpful. Um, and But now... Yes, now there's a whole team of people working on everything, all of the everything. There's just so much. There's their email, their emails that have to go out, there's recipe testing. All of the recipes get tested by someone other than the recipe creator at this point. Um, and just the managing of the business, uh, all the tech. Yeah, there's a, there's a big team behind it now. Yeah, and, and, it, and I'm so happy that I don't have to do all of that anymore. <laughs> and,
1: and like you said, it's never been about you, but mm-hmm. now in semi-retirement, it is about you. Like, what's next for Elise Bauer?
0: Um, that's a really good question. I I'm actually just trying to, to kind of take it easy right now to give my brain some space. You know, with your creative person. It's hard to create if you've got a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do, right? So in a way, in order um, to create, you kind of have to clear some space in your head. And that is what I'm doing right now. I'm just, I'm doing a lot of um, closet cleaning, (laughs) so to speak, both uh, uh, literally and figuratively. So I'm cleaning the closets in my home, and I'm also sort of cleaning the space of my calendar to sort of see um, what interesting things I want to pursue next. Yeah. Not sure.
1: Yeah. And you're committed to Aikido?
0: Yes, I do. Aikido, it's a Japanese martial art that is um, based on conflict resolution, and it's a it's a beautiful martial art. It is uh, It requires a high degree of stamina, flexibility, and coordination, and I do that four to five times a week. So, yeah, I do that too. All the things that I didn't have time to do when I was working full-time, I'm now... Taking a breath and taking that time.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me about how you've been raising kale and your highly successful
0: work. And just thanks for being here and being a friend. Thank you so much, Amber. I love you and I love what you're doing with the Food Literacy Center. Thank you.
1: Thank you for going into the kitchen with me and with Elise to start raising kale. I hope you've become inspired to learn more and do more. Our website links to resources so you can keep learning with us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. In our next episode, we'll hear from my friend Ken, a chef farmer in Illinois who experienced an awakening about our food system. He diverted his career as a successful chef in elite restaurants, moved to Illinois to follow his heart and his values, and became a farmer and quickly failed at everything. I hope his journey will inspire you to keep learning and keep raising kale.